0: Recently, a good friend said to me, um, we'd never had this conversation, said to me, do you want to know why I don't go to church? And I said, sure. And she said, "Um, so here's the deal. And again, we'd never had this conversation. Here's the deal. When I was a kid from a very young age, I have a younger brother, she said. And I knew from a very young age, like when he was like four or five, I knew he was gay. We were in and out of churches, and I, she said, I I vividly remember one time when a, a member of a church pulled me aside and said, your brother's going to hell because he's gay. So here's my friend decades later, decades later, holding on to that. She's never gotten over it, and that's why she doesn't go to church. This gospel passage about the unquenchable fire is the kind of passage that's been used for, for centuries to justify such cruelty and exclusion in this life and in the life to come. So, as we wrestle with this gospel reading, as we think about this gospel reading, and trust me, I'd have much rather preached on El Dad and Me Dad, but. <laughs> But we have to um, speak in clear and uncertain terms about this gospel passage. And remember that as Episcopalians, we've got a methodology. Episcopalians take the Bible seriously, but not always literally. And I believe that we've got a great model this morning in Jesus Christ for doing exactly that. Unlike our culture, which is uh, most of us in this culture um, are literate. We read and we write. The exact opposite was true in Jesus' day. Jesus lived in an oral culture. Something like 95% of the people did not read and write. So what had the most amount of power in terms of words or stories or tingling your ear was not something written down, but was the commerce of the word through the air. So great teachers, preachers, storytellers, then like now, used hyperbole. And Jesus was a master of hyperbole to get attention. Let me give you another example besides this gospel reading. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get in the kingdom of God. Jesus is not literally trying to save camels. (laughs) Scholars also believe... This word for, for hell and for unquenchable fire, as Jesus uses it, is actually not mythological. That gets layered onto this image down through the centuries, and especially in the medieval um, period of Christianity. The word in origin, as Jesus uses it here, is something, actually a, a place, a place outside the gates of Jerusalem where a fire was kept burning where people would take animals for sacrifice or trash to get rid of it. So you can imagine if, if you and I walked by that burning trash heap regularly taking out our trash, not just our back alley, if we regularly did that over the course of our life, we have in our hands a very powerful metaphor for transformation. It's the trash heap. It's where you take all of that stuff to burn it and get rid of it. Scholars believe that. Therefore, with the, the meaning of this passage, what we need to take seriously but not literally is that there are some things in our life that we need to take out to the trash and get rid of. Um, if you prefer, there's some things we need to recycle real quick. <laughs> I, am, I um, am a great friend of the recovery movement, and I just love it for so many reasons. I happen to believe it's the, it's the greatest um, spiritual community um, kind of in the contemporary church or contemporary world. I also just love their aphorisms, and I can't help but thinking about one of them, which relates to basically what Jesus is, is calling us to do. And it's a saying about drinking that for some alcoholics, one drink is just too much. So the saying is this, for some... One drink is not enough, and a thousand is too many. No, I did it again. I, I did this, I've practiced, the choir and the clergy know this. I preached this sermon and made that same mistake at 8 o'clock this morning, and for an hour I've been practicing getting it right, and I just didn't. For an alcoholic, one drink is what? Amen. And a thousand is? Amen. Thank you. The point here, the point here from Jesus and AA and the preacher is turn from your wicked ways and live. And it's not about literal sins like alcoholism or something else. It's about what Jesus was talking to about a, a few weeks ago. It's about the vices of our hearts, our addictions. Those things that hold us back from being human and humane and Christ-like. Those things that aren't just a little bit dangerous, but that are literally holding us back that you don't want to play with because it's like playing with fire. Get rid of it. Be done with it once and for all. I think that's the message in this sharp gospel reading that needs to be taken very seriously, but never literally. In just a moment, um, I really appreciate y'all completing the sermon properly, by the way. Thank you for doing that. And I've got to kind of get over that to complete the sermon on the back end. But um, in a moment, we'll say um, the Nicene Creed. And I always love saying the Nicene Creed. I don't always pay attention the way I should, but I do love that we always say it. Because I feel like if the preacher gets off track, at least we've got the, you know, the creed as some guardrails there in a minute. Um, and the same thing is actually true of the gospel reading and the readings, the Old Testament and the Psalms and the epistle. That what the creed does every Sunday is remind us of the big picture. And the big picture that the creed reminds us of is it traces the journey of the Son of God's life from heaven itself All the way to becoming truly human, just like you and me. All the way to being crucified and died. All the way to being buried. At baptisms and at even song at other services, we use the Apostles' Creed. It has an even more dramatic uh, phrase for, for Jesus being buried. And it says that Jesus descended to the dead. Older translations even use a more startling phrase. It says that Jesus descended into hell. And it comes from this this old, and I actually believe very comforting interpretation. There are other interpretations of what Jesus' death means, but there's one old and I think comforting interpretation that's called the harrowing of hell. And it basically means that what Jesus does is he, he, he goes to the place of the dead, not just to unite his death with all deaths in human history, not just that, but Jesus goes to the underworld to set the captives free. And where this gets portrayed most dramatically is in Eastern Orthodox icons and frescas, which portray the resurrection, their image, their preferred image for the resurrection is a picture. And in this picture, Jesus is, um, I gotta lean down. You might not be able to see me in the back. Jesus is, is coming up out of the ground, out of the tomb, and he's raising up. But what's incredible is he's got Adam by one hand and Eve by the other. And he's coming up and he's just, just pulling them with him and it's this incredible image for resurrection and it's incredible because it's not just about the church it's about all of humanity Adam and Eve it's about this incredible social fabric that's created by divinity by God it's about how there is hope for the entire human race because of this resurrection and the good news is good news universally for all people it's incredible that the risen Christ is pulling up Adam and Eve here's the big picture Here's the shape of Christ's life. The creed says nothing about hell. It mentions nothing about fires, and neither does that icon of the resurrection, and nowhere do any of those stories about resurrection mention, mention any of that. The big picture, the gospel in a nutshell, is that Jesus is our Savior because Jesus is our companion. Jesus takes us by the hand. And leads us along a path that Christ has already traveled. Jesus takes us by the hand and leads us through our birth like his birth. Leads us through our lives like his life. Leads us through the existential joys and sorrows that he knew firsthand just like us. All the way through that pit stop on the, by the fire pit. Through that, to that recycling center. He takes us over there too. It's a short stop, hopefully. But if you've got to linger a while, he'll stand there with you the way, that path continues beyond that fire, all the way through to our very deaths, which is his death. And that path continues all the way to the gates of heaven, where he welcomes us home. There's a 17th century um, poet and, and, and theologian and hymnodist, and actually a Puritan, Richard Baxter, I said, actually, because you don't always hear Puritans quoted by Episcopalians. (laughs) And he has a a great hymn with a great line that sums up all of this um, in a simpler way, but it means the same thing. Baxter wrote, Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he himself entered. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That with Christ, at all times... And in all places, you and I are never alone.